Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, January 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some wonderful work for the kingdom. I would continue to encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real good possibility you're going to find, excuse me, more over there to listen to then you actually have time to listen to it in. And I say that from experience because I've had that happen myself. All right. Well, thank you very much for your patience. I'm very, very grateful for it. I'm sorry I had to take a break like that, uh, which is way, way overwhelmed. And the sad fact is, uh, you know, it, it, it was a nice relaxing week. I mean, I had a lot of work to do. It was very, very busy work-wise um, as far as putting some other stuff together and all, which was part of the reason I kind of took a break from, from the podcast. But of course, it ended up... The, <laughs> It ended up in craziness um, this week. Basically, Friday and Saturday night, I got almost no sleep because I was up with a sick dog, my little five-year-old. Uh, we call him a schnot because we had a schnauzer and we had schnoodles. Well, we still have one of the schnoodles. And we called him a schnot because he's not any of those things. Um, we've. Oh, <laughs> they also called him, when we went to get him, he was a rescue. They called him a labradoodle. And we call him a not-a-doodle. Um, because we don't know what he is. I, I think there's wire-haired terrier in there with him. But with with the schnauzers and the schnoodles, um, it's a genetic thing. They end up with gum disease really, really bad. And basically, we had to spend thousands of dollars to get their teeth removed and the gum disease dealt with. So didn't think that would be an issue with this dog. Well, it is. Um, he was not doing well, having pain. Uh, I took him in Saturday after a long night of not sleeping, and he's now going to have to have, I mean, one of his teeth actually fell out there in the office. Um, he's going to end up having to have all of his teeth removed. Um, and of course, we went. I went to the vet. We've known her for dec over a decade. And I said, what are we doing wrong? She said, nothing. She's actually wondering if it's the water out here. And I can say for a fact, the water out here is ridiculous. I'm out in Arizona. Um, when I was in the Navy, I was going into the submarine service because you do not have a dentist there. They pull all of your wisdom teeth before you even deploy. So they went to pull mine. They got three of the four out. The, the um, dentist, the Navy dentist, wrote a pass for me um, that went into my permanent records that the fourth one did not need to come out because it would never impact because of the way it is. So I still have a, a wisdom tooth back in there. Um, because I destroyed three of his b drill bits and wore him out, and it was three and a half hours we had been going go with this, um, and my mouth was burned and everything else, um, because my teeth, growing up in Arizona, drinking the minerally water, my teeth, hard as rocks. Um, but as my vet said, the stuff on the teeth looks like the scum that builds up in our in our sinks and in our pipes out here. Um, so that's what she's wondering if the, just the water, because I, I just never thought of it. I don't give my dogs filtered water. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, they lick parts that you and I wouldn't lick. I'm not trying to be gross, but I mean, so I, I was not thinking that I needed to give them filtered water. Maybe I did, but so now's the fun of trying to figure out where I magically whip up, you know, $1,500 to, you know, <laughs> to get my dog's teeth pulled. Um, because believe me, once he gets them pulled, he'll be fine. Our schnauzer had all of hers pulled and she never looked back. 
never had a problem. Actually, she was very, very happy with it. Um, I just hate to have to do this to my little five-year-old dog who is, who is my best buddy. But anyways, so that was kind of the end of that week, but, but fortunately got through the week and did have some good, some, some relaxation, some good time, got, got a lot of good stuff done. Um, so, but I'm glad to be back. I'm sorry folks have missed me. Hey, Bree and Kenny, I love you. We miss you. We miss you in Sunday school class, but we miss you in general. I hope you're all getting better. I hope things are starting to heal up. I, I hope all the things you're, you're trying to do and all get squared away. And again, we love you and miss you. Um, but so I'm back and Tom, I'm sorry you, you missed me for the week. I'm sorry I wasn't there because you've listened to every show from the beginning. Um, so sorry about that, but we're back. Um, needless to say, we've skipped over. So, you know, morning segment, we're going to be doing our regular Bible reading. Um, we're not going back to where we ended. I'm just going to where we would be on the 22nd of January for our reading. And we're just going to pick up from there. Um, same's true for any of this, for our devotionals, for any of that. We're going to do the same thing. So, but we are going to pick up where we were in John chapter 17. But I want to lead in first with um, this Sunday, um, and I'm recording this Sunday night, obviously. So this morning, my pastor preached it was Sanctity of Life Sunday. And my pastor preached a bombshell sermon. It was just wonderful and very convicting, uh, very convicting um, and needed to be. He nailed it biblically. Um, and it's not just abortion is bad, blah. No, no, no. Uh, you, it's something you really need. You really need to hear. You can go find it at Vail Valley Baptist Church on uh, Facebook and at VVB Church on Twitter. And I would encourage you to go see it. Now, I'm actually going to go get approval from Andrew um, our, our head over at Christian podcast community. Cause I have to do that before I include anybody. Cause I'm specified as a lone host. So for, for like my wife, I've already gotten approval for her to be on the podcast, but I need to get approval, um, to do Jay's message as an MP3 on the podcast. But I I've got the MP3 already. I just need to get approval, but I am also going to stream it out on this podcast once I get that through as well. So if you want to wait till that comes out to just listen, that's fine. But then I would encourage you to take it and pass it around. Everybody needs to hear it. We all need to hear the message he preached. I, I He is a wonderful preacher, and I, I love to listen to him, but I don't know that he has ever preached a more necessary message in his time in the pulpit than the one he preached today. So again, I would encourage you to go find that if you've got the time. Um, actually, I would tell you, make the time and go see and listen to him, watch it on video, but I will be coming back with it on the podcast and you can grab at that point, you can grab the MP3 of the podcast and, and you can hand it out because believe me, I may do a quick little intro, um, telling where it's coming from and then that's it. It's going to be totally him. So anyways, so let's get into our reading for the day. Sorry. I just felt like I needed to do that lead in there. Um, considering, you know, how long I've been out and stuff like that. But let's go ahead. Like I said, we're going to be doing our regular reading plan. So let's go ahead and open up this morning with the second day morning prayer. It's called God Overall. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. 
but thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion for January 22nd. Uh, let's make sure. Yep, that's right. For January 22nd from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. We're still in that. Uh, let's see. Is he, The text for it is Ezekiel 15.2. Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? These words are for the humbling of God's people. They are called God's vine. But what are they by nature more than others? They, by God's goodness, have become fruitful, having been planted in a good soil. The Lord hath trained them upon the walls of the sanctuary, and they bring forth fruit to his glory. But what are they without their God? What are they without the continual influence of the Spirit, begetting fruitfulness in them? O believer, learn to reject pride, seeing that thou hast no ground for it. Whatever thou art, thou hast nothing to make thee proud. The more thou hast, the more thou art in debt to God, and thou shouldst not be proud of that which renders thee a debtor. Consider thine origin, look back to what thou wast. Consider what thou wouldst have been but for divine grace. Look upon thyself as thou art now. Doth not thy conscience reproach thee? Do not thy thousand wanderings stand before thee, and tell thee that thou art unworthy to be called his son? And if he hath made thee anything, art thou not taught thereby that it is grace which hath made thee to differ? Great believer, thou wouldst have been a great sinner if God had not made thee to differ. O thou who art valiant for truth, thou wouldst have been as valiant for error if grace had not laid hold upon thee. Therefore be not proud, though thou hast a large estate, a wide domain of grace. Thou hadst not once a single thing to call thine own except thy sin and misery. Oh, strange infatuation, that thou who hast borrowed everything shouldst think of exalting thyself, a poor dependent pensioner upon the bounty of thy Savior, one who hath a life which dies without fresh streams of life from Jesus, and yet proud, fie on thee, O silly heart. All right. Well, let's see. Our reading for today is going to be Genesis 44 and 45, uh, Matthew 14, verses 13 through 36, Psalm 18, verse 37 through 50. So both of those are through the end of the chapters. And then Proverbs 4, verse 11 through 13. And give me a second. I'm going to have some coffee here. And yes, when I'm recording at night, I don't drink caffeinated coffee, though I don't know that that's ever kept me up, but I don't do it. All right. So Genesis 44, hear the word of the Lord. Then he commanded his house steward saying, oh, so I'm sorry. So yeah, we've kind of skipped since I was out for a week. So this is Joseph now being down and um, having been betrayed by his brothers now being down in Egypt. And he's now like uh, the, the head only below Pharaoh and his brothers have come down and everything. So this is, that's where we're at. So sorry, Genesis 44. 
Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Now put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As the morning light broke, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. Now they had just gone out of the city and were not far off, when Joseph said to his house steward, Arise, pursue the men. You shall overtake them and say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and which he indeed uses to interpret omens? You have done evil in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. Why then could we steal... Excuse me. Sorry, it wasn't why then. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. So he said, Now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, but the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man brought his sack down to the ground, and each man opened his sack. So he searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Then Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, so they fell to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, What is the de this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed interpret omens? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an older father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, If your youngest brother does not come down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it happened that when we went up to your servant my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. And your servant my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in evil. So now when I come to your servant my father, and the boy is not with us, and his life is bound up in the boy's life, so it will be that when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant our father down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became a guarantee for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the sin before my father all my days. So now please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord, and let the boy go up with his brothers. 
For how shall I go up to my father if the boy is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? Genesis 45 Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he called out, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Then he wept loudly, and the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. So now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive for a great remnant of survivors. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has set me as a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has set me as lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. And you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have be impoverished. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. So you must tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. Now the news was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, and it was good in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Now do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, Do not be stirred up on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt, and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But his heart was stunned, for he did not believe them. Yet they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. Then the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. All right, and Matthew 14, verses 13 through 36. Let me make sure, yep, that's correct, okay. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. 
and when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away, and you... I'm sorry, they do not need to go away, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And ordering the crowd to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking, looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. And there were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, being battered by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And getting out of the boat, Peter walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are truly God's son. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they were pleading with him that they might just touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were cured. Psalm 18, verses 37 through 50. I, pursue, I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I crushed them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdue, subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save, even to Yahweh, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners cower before me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. Yahweh lives, and blessed be my rock. And let the God of my salvation be lifted high. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me, and delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Yahweh, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great salvation to his king, and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. And finally, Proverbs 4, verses 11 through 13. I have instructed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright tracks. 
When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Seize discipline, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path. Oh, sorry, I was going on to 14 there. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Um, Again, I thank you for your patience um, with me being able to take a break there. Thank you for coming back to listen. I very much appreciate it. I continue to pray that this time together in the Word helps all of us to be more saturated in the Word of God as we need to be. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Wow. Sorry about that. All right. We're going to close out with a prayer from Valley Vision. This one is called Man's Great End. Let's pray. Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care that calls forth my ardent desires. That is that I may answer the great end for which I am made to glorify thee who hast given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow men. Verily, life is not worth having, if it be not improved for, the, or improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little is this the thought of mankind! Most men seem to live for themselves, without much or any regard for thy glory, or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false delusive dreams are these! And how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them, for all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. O may I never fall into the into the tempers and vanity I'm sorry. O may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of the present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind, from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me grace always to keep in covenant with thee, and to reject as delusion a great name here or hereafter. Together with all sinful pleasures or profits, help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me, apart from a life lived in and for the Son of thy love. Amen. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. And again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, January 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to dive back into our Bible study. Uh, we're in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to open up first with um, this uh, prayer from At the Throne of Grace. It's a compilation of John MacArthur's prayers put together by his children. And like I've said before, um, what this usually these usually lead in they've got a verse that they're kind of based around so in this case it's Ephesians 5:25 through 32 so husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless 
so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be, um, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, Blessed Son, and Eternal Spirit, we come to worship you, God in three persons, one in essence, perfect in every way, the only true God. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for the redemption our Heavenly Father has furnished for us in Christ the Son and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Undeserving though we are, you have welcomed us into your everlasting kingdom, so that we might be partakers of your unspeakable glory. Again, Father, we thank you that in the fullness of your grace, you loved us and sent your only begotten Son to redeem us. Lord Jesus, though existing eternally in the form of God, you did not count that as something to be clung to. You humbled yourself, took on the form of a servant, and were made in the likeness of men. As a man, you became a servant, being obedient to the Father's will, even unto death on the cross. That one sacrifice atoned for our sins forever, and provided us with a cow I'm sorry, with a covering such as we needed, the spotless garment of your perfect righteousness. Holy Spirit, you too have loved us everlastingly, and now you make your permanent abode in our hearts, letting your life and power flow through us, producing abundant fruit and and conforming us to the image of Christ. O God, one God, yet three persons, we praise you and thank you for mercy so undeserved and for grace beyond measure. Your loving kindness is inexhaustible, your mercies endure forever, your faithfulness extends to all generations, your glory is seen in all your works, and your steadfast love is our song. We come to you, the triune God, enthroned in our lives, presiding over the universe, and we humbly ask for you to strengthen us when we are where we are weak, beginning with our acts of worship. You who spoke the universe into existence with but a word are the one who has I'm sorry, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How we, how we thank you again for commanding salvation on our behalf. Lord, we come before you in prayer to bring you our praise. Set our lives in order before you, and renew our commitment to love and obedience, usefulness and faithfulness. Be honored through our lives, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. And now, our evening devotion is from Glorifying God by Thomas Watson. And it will be, um, actually I need to skip ahead. I don't have it marked correctly here. Um, sorry. There we go. January 22nd. All right. So, sorry about all the page turning, but I'm actually reading this from a hard copy. So the text for this is 2 Corinthians 5.15. That they which live should not live to themselves, but unto him who died for them. We glorify God by living for God. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Romans 14.8 The rich lived their money. The gourmet lives to his belly. The design of a sinner's life is to gratify lust. But we glorify God when we live to God. We live to God when we live to his service and lay ourselves out wholly for God. 
The Lord has sent us into the world as a merchant sends his representatives beyond the seas to trade for him. We live to God when we trade for his interest and propagate his gospel. God has given every man a talent, and when a man does not hide it in a napkin, but improves it for God, he lives to God. When the head of a family, by counsel and good example, labors to bring his family to Christ, when a minister spends himself that he may win souls to Christ and make the crown flourish upon Christ's head, when the magistrate labors to cut down sin and to suppress vice, that is to live for God, and this is glorifying God, that Christ might be magnified, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20 Paul had three wishes, and they were all about Christ, that he might be found in Christ, be with Christ, and magnify Christ. All right. Well, we're going to get back into our Bible study in John chapter 17. All right. Like I said, we're getting back into Sorry, I had to take a break there for a minute. Uh, we're getting back into our study of John chapter 17. So, you know, we've been talking about this prayer for two weeks now. Um, and as we've discussed previously, this is truly the Lord's prayer. While the other one is more the disciples prayer. I, you know, my pastor called it that. That was the first time I ever heard him call it that. Yet in my, in my studying through, um, you know, commentaries and stuff, preparing this, I, there are way more people that also call that more, more the disciples prayer because it's more of an example of how the disciples or how you and I should pray. But this is the Lord's prayer. We've talked about that before. This one here is communication between two parts of the triune God, between God incarnate and God the Father. So th these, these two are communicating. But even in this case, what we have to realize and, and what that should really say to us is, you know, yeah, good. Jesus, you know, taught them how to pray. So obviously it was important enough that in his ministry, he taught those disciples how to pray. Yeah, the disciples asked about it, but do you think they really asked about it outside of the will of God? You know, so he taught them that. But we have to remember, we've got to remember our context here for John 17. Again, Jesus has had the, the triumphal entry. Okay. They've proclaimed him as king of Israel, but Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, religious elite want to kill him. They want to kill him. Um, and they're being driven to the point where they're going to kill him. They weren't going to do it during this Passover, but they're feeling the need that they've got to go ahead and get this done. Of course, that is perfectly within line with God's plan because Jesus is the Paschal lamb. He is the final sacrifice. He is the one sacrifice that truly completes and closes out the Mosaic covenant. Whereas all the, all the, you know, um, oxen and, and sheep and goats and whatever can't, could never satisfy the Mosaic covenant. Christ's sacrifice could. But so here he is. He's done that. We've had the upper room discourse. We've had the last supper, the upper room discourse. He's gone from his public ministry to his private ministry. He's been um, teaching and trying to lift up and trying to comfort the apostles, you know, the 11 that are left. Because like we've talked about, we've talked about before, and I'm not going to get into all the details that I've already gone over ad nauseum on multiple days in, the row, in a row in some cases, that their lives are really falling apart because the one they, they expect that, that has been protecting them. I mean, truly, and we've got to realize that he's been protecting them from 
the authorities. The authorities have come after him, not them. He's been a buffer for them, but he's also been a provider for them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the donations that have come in places to stay food, stuff like that has come in because of his ministry. And that's provided for them because they've left everything. These guys don't have part-time jobs. I, these guys are not like, um, those of us that, that, that preach and teach now, or those, those that are out there pastoring that are bivocational, they have full-time jobs and are full-time pastors. By the way, anybody tries to tell you, you can be, you can be a part-time pastor. Um, they're wrong. You can't. There's no such thing as a part-time pastor. Somebody that is truly called by God to be a pastor cannot do it part-time. And anybody as a pastor that says, well, I, you don't pay me to do that. Yeah, they're not called. Uh, no offense, but they're not called. Not by God. And again, I don't mean to get between their relationship between them and God. But I don't know the pastor out there, the true pastor out there that ever. I, I've watched them give and go no matter what they're being paid. Because it's not about the being paid. It's about doing God's will. So anyways, but this is the situation they're in. And so they come to this. The private ministry ends in 16 and we come to this high priestly prayer. Now, please remember, we are within hours, hours, not days, hours of Jesus being arrested, being accused falsely being beaten to where he's unrecognizable, being whipped to where um, his back is so shredded the bones show, um, being humiliated, being slapped, being slandered, being, you know, being reviled, being crucified with thieves, with the lowest of the low. Um, because again, we've got to realize the when we're talking about thieves, the guys that were on the cross, we got to remember the context we're in. Um, we're not talking about the kid that goes into the drugstore and steals a pack of gum. We're talking people that when they stole from somebody, they hurt their ability to survive. Again, these, this is a society where the majority of the people, and especially the people we're talking about here, um, <clears throat> these disciples would be perfect examples of it that if somebody stole from them they would hurt their ability to feed themselves and their families or clothe them or keep a roof over their head i'm not talking that they come in and took a thousand dollars from somebody mugged them for a thousand bucks no I, i'm talking these are people that lived hand to mouth that no kidding what they earned on monday is what paid for them to live on Tuesday. And what they earned on Tuesday is what they paid, what paid for them to live on Wednesday. And any loss of any of that was a major impact. Um, we just saw in our reading about Joseph, Joseph giving his brother Benjamin five changes of clothes. And you read that in, you, in, in our context today, <clears throat> so what, five changes of clothes? I mean, in, unless you're turning around and buying Armani and stuff like that, how does that really impact? No, back then, most people only had one pair, one change of clothes. Five changes of clothes was a fortune. So you steal a man's cloak, you steal his tunic. You've, you've had, you, I mean, honestly, you make it where he can't insulate himself enough to survive. And believe me, Israel, I've been there. It gets cold. It gets cold. Man may die because of exposure to the weather, because you've taken his clothing. So again, he was, and, and I'm saying that to say, the thieves were the lowest of the low. 
because they took and put lives in jeopardy. So he's crucified with them and buried. Okay. So he's within hours of this, but he's praying for them. Again, we saw that this is broken into three sections um, where he prays for himself. He prays for the disciples and then he prays for the church. So we're in the section about praying for the disciples. But so if, if we're within hours of that and Jesus is praying and praying for the disciples and praying for the church and even praying for himself about completing the work that is going to be completed within the next, you know, hours, that should tell us how critical prayer is. So it makes me think about Paul. Paul, after speaking to the Ephesian church and the closing of his letter to them, and he's already spoken to them, we realized that he's spoken to them prior to this um, in uh, Ephesians 6, and I think it's like verse 10 through verse 17 or something like that. He's spoken about spiritual warfare and the armor of God, the whole armor of God. So he's spoken about that, and he's, but then he goes on to speak about it, of the importance of prayer and its need within that interface. Um, and then he goes on to ask them to pray for him. So Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And this is coming right on the end of him talking about the full armor of God. Praying, so Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit. And to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. As well as on my behalf that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> now, we do want to note the fact that Paul doesn't ask them to pray that he would be let out of the chains. He's asking them to pray that he'd be given the words to bring the gospel in whatever situation he's in. But look how critical is, I mean, I mean, again, he's saying he is an ambassador in chains. Again, he wrote Ephesians. He was in prison. He was in prison and he was unjustly in prison, but he was in prison. He was actually in prison to protect himself because the Jews wanted to kill him. But he also instructs them to pray for all the saints. This is what's called intercessory prayer. That's the, that's a thousand dollar world. It's intercessory prayer. He's asking them to intercede for him and for the saints with his prayers. So most of us default to the thought of the Holy Spirit making intercession for us. Uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27. And in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes, intercessory, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even in that case, it's saying that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us, but prays for us in the will of God. Not in the will of us that, oh, get, make it so I win the lottery, give me the big car, give me the big house. Oh, it's not those. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. And of course he does, because he's part of the triune God. They are all of one mind, one will, all of one will. But we don't tend to default to thinking of, at least I don't, maybe you do, but I don't tend to default to thinking of Jesus Christ making intercession for us. Now, of course, when I start talking about it, of course I go, well, of course he does. Of course he does. But that's just, we always think of, the, at least I do, I always think of the Holy Spirit, oh, okay, but I don't think of it that way. But Jesus in one of his roles 
for us because he's prophet, priest, and king. And the priestly role, he is our mediator. How could he be our mediator without going to God for us? Now, again, when he, he, I say he's our mediator, is he mediates between us and God, between the saints and God. He mediates between the two. Um, so, of course, in that mediation, of course, he intercedes for us. Of course, he prays for us. You know, and it, and it, it, it tends to... Um, and the way we see it in the scripture, it talks about asking. Well, that's praying. Okay. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what that's that's indicating is he makes intercession forever for his adopted brothers and sisters, for those who have been saved. He intercedes for us forever. So it's not like that he just intercedes for us once. He intercedes for us continuously. First uh, John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and his advocacy consists of prayers to the Father on our behalf. Intersection. Um, his work as the media as our mediator is as important as his work of atonement. I mean, his death gave believers eternal life, and we've talked about that. How he prayed about that back in the beginning of this, prayed about his right to grant eternal life. But then the explanation of what that eternal life was, it was that agape relationship with God that that's the key to eternal life. Yes, it goes out into eternity, but it's about that relationship that we gain benefits from now, but even more so after glorification. But so his death gave believers eternal life, provided that ability. But his work as our mediator brings them, brings us from justification through our walk of sanctification to our glorification. So this prayer here, shows us clearly what Christ's intercessory work will look like off into eternity. Now, again, as we talked of, and I've already brought up this this evening, the prayer's broken into three parts. And again, we've talked about what they were, and we talked about that, that, you know, Jesus was praying for himself, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, oh, take this away from me. It was, you know, help me to complete your work so that I may glorify you and you glorify me and all of that that we talked about a week or so ago. And then we talked about the first part here, verses 6 through 10. We saw Jesus, so 6 through 19, verses 6 through 19 are Jesus praying for the disciples, these 11 that are left. And then verses 20 through 26, I think it is, is the end of the chapter. Um, he prays for the church, so for us. But we saw in verses 6 through 10, Jesus establishes the reasons why he's certain that the Father would answer his, this prayer. Um, and again, we called that section, I'm going to go back and find, um, we called that section, um, the praying for his disciples, it was part one, as those whom the father had given him. So again, we looked at what those reasons were, why he was so certain, because again, so we, we have to understand Jesus praying, it's very, very easy for us to get, um, kind of discombobulated, um, because we think of, well, Jesus praying is like us praying. No, it's not. Jesus is praying in the will of God. Jesus is God incarnate. So 
when he prays, he's praying knowing that what he's praying for is going to go forward. Thus, how we can see verses 6 through 10 is making clear that these are the reasons why he's certain that the Father would answer this prayer. We see clearly, verses 7 through 8, that they had believed in Jesus as the Son. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. He's speaking there of the disciples. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. And again, this is a deep-seated root belief. This is not an intellectual belief. This is a root deep, soul deep belief that he's talking about. So they had believed in Jesus as the son. The second part, verses nine and 10, and they were given to him from the father. Verses, verse nine, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. Again, the father had given them to the son. So those are why Jesus establishes this re, this establishes the reason why he's certain that the father father would answer this prayer but what we're, we're going to see in verses 11 through 19 we're going to see two requests that jesus makes for the 11 so i'm going to read verses 11 through 19 and i know we're 20 something minutes in and i haven't even read the verses we're dealing with but we're dealing with in this section and this is this would be prayers for the disciple part two and it's as dome, those the, the, what Dr. MacArthur titled them, as those whom he is about to leave. Because again, it was as those whom the Father had given him, thus we saw that we saw the reasons why he thought they were he, that he, he knew that God would answer these prayer, his prayer. But in this case, it's as those whom he is about to leave, Jesus praying for praying for them, making requests for them because he's about to leave them. So let me read John 17, verse 11 through 19. And I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in them, in themselves. Excuse me. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So what we're going to see in these verses, and again, I want to do this kind of intro first about prayer, because then we're going to dig in um, over Tuesday and Wednesday, God willing, the two requests he makes. And what we're going to see is the first request he makes in the first part of these verses is he makes a request for this, for spiritual protection for the eleven. And then what we're going to see is he's going to make a request for sanctifying purity for the 11. And we, and we even see that there at the end of it may be sanctified in truth. So basically the verse we're dealing with today that we read them all is I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. 
Now, again, Jesus is speaking there, like we said, the title here, as those he's leaving behind. He's no longer in the world. Even at this point, he's making very, very clear that his hold on the, our world is tenuous at that point. Um, he is speaking as if he has already been crucified, as if it's a done deal. That's what he's trying to say there. It is a what I have proclaimed, and he's saying this in front of them, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow evening, God willing, that he's saying this in their presence so that they will understand and they will take confidence in that. But he's stating this, I'm no longer in the world. He's stating this as if he's already been crucified. But he makes clear, but these I'm making the request for, they are still in the world. They're still in the world, thus the impetus to drive these requests, how important it is that these requests be honored. And of course, he's saying this knowing that God will honor them. This is not a, oh, please, please, please. Okay. But then he finishes up the beginning of chapter 11 with, and I come to you. Again, he's saying that the, the verb tenses there, even in the Greek, make clear. He's saying this, I come to you as if it's already happened. That his death and resurrection, again, first part, and I'm no longer in the world, death, and I come to you, resurrection and ascension, as if they've already taken place. It is that certain that these are coming and that these are part of the will of God, that, the, that this is the will of God, that this happened. This is God's plan. And he's saying that, and they would understand. I know for you and I, this is not typically how we talk. But for those, those first century disciples, they would understand exactly what he was saying that. And that he was saying, but they're still here. While I'm not in the world, they're still here. Meaning, I'm not here to protect them. So here's the impetus for the requests I'm about to make. So he's speaking to the Father. And he's praying for the disciples. He's making requests for the disciples. And like I said, God willing, that's what we're going to deal with over the next couple of days. All right. Well... Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you again for being so understanding. At least I hope you were. I I, I don't know. Nobody's, nobody comments, so I'm making a guess. Um, but again, sorry I had to take a week, but I really, really needed the week. Um, and I came back very much rejuvenated and ready to go with the podcast. So we're, like I said, we're going to continue on this week, God willing, uh, like we normally do. And I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. I hope to see you in the morning as we continue on for the week. But let's go ahead and close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. It's from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the other, uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. 
provide for every exigency, and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.